Act Two, Part One of The Freaks, An Idol of Suburbia, by Arthur Wing Pinero. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Act Sickness in the House. The scene is in the inner hall at Marsden Lodge. With certain concessions to comfort, it is furnished and decorated in the modern antique style. In the left-hand wall a door opens into a room from the outer hall, and in the wall on the right a large bay window looks on and gives admittance to the garden. The view seen from the window is the same as that shown in the previous act. In the wall facing the spectator is a door opening into the drawing-room, in corresponding in size and position to the door in the right-hand wall of the scene of the first act and on the right of this door is a large fireplace with a hooded overmantel. On the other side of the door a staircase runs up to an arched opening in the left-hand wall. Beyond the opening is a landing, and beyond the landing another arched opening, across which a curtain is hung, leads to a continuation of the stairs. Standing out into the room, a little to the right of the centre, there is an oblong table. On it are some morning newspapers and a number of magazines and illustrated weeklies. There is a chair on the right of this table, another on the left, and one behind it. And in front of the table is a fauteuil stool. On the other side of the room, set to follow the line of the left-hand wall, is a settee. At the end of the settee there is a round table with a work-basket upon it, and on the right of the table an armchair. On either side of the fireplace there is an oaken settle, and at the farther side of the window, facing the garden, are an armchair and a footstool. Another armchair, set to face the room, is at the nearer side of the window, and beside it is a little square table with a bowl of flowers upon it. In the left-hand corner of the room are a small harmonium and a music stool, and on the top of the harmonium, which is closed, are a pile of hymn-books, a library candle-lamp, and a match-bowl. Near the harmonium, against the left-hand wall, is a little table bearing a large Bible and an equally big Book of Common Prayer, and also against the left-hand wall, but on the nearer side of the door, is an escritoire with a chair before it. On each side of the window is a dwarf bookcase, and in the right-hand corner of the room a long-case clock, and between the fireplace and the drawing-room door stands a small cabinet. There is a bell-push on the right and left of the fireplace. A fire is laid, and a basket of logs is by the hearth. The garden is full of sunshine. Mrs. Herrick enters from the drawing-room, and at the same moment Sheila and Rosa run down the stairs. Mrs. Herrick and Sheila are wearing light morning dresses, and Rosa is a quaintly attractive figure in a skimpy, washed-out cotton frock. They all look toward the door on the left. Mrs. Herrick, to Sheila. Wasn't that Dr. Waterfield's car, Sheila? Sheila, halting with Rosa on the stairs. Fancy so. Waterfield enters briskly from the outer hall, and simultaneously Lady Jennings and Sir Norton enter from the garden at the window. Mrs. Herrick, welcoming Waterfield with a cheerful smile. We thought we heard you, Doctor. Waterfield, shaking hands with her. Morning to Sheila and Rosa. Morning, Sheila. Morning, Rosa. Morning. Rosa, who
whose cheeks though still pale are of a healthier colour than when she was last seen morning waterfield to mrs herrick how goes it splendidly sheila coming down the remaining stairs ripping night nurse webb is frightfully bucked good rosa joining sheila slept straight off for five hours sheila to rosa laughingly hours rosa rosa making a despairing face oh gosh ha 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 waving his hand to lady bull jennings and sir norton how's your ladyship how are you sir norton sheila takes waterfield's arm and bustles him upstairs and mrs herrick and rosa follow lady bull jennings moving to the middle of the room huh, how are we indeed sir norton also advancing how are we with the air of a martyr laying his hat upon the oblong table it's no use margaret my attempting to consult this man about my eczema not the slightest i should imagine if you wish proper importance to be attached to it ronald dressed in flannels and smoking a cigarette enters from the garden ronald as he closes the window that the doctor if you allude to mr james edow's medical attendant he has just gone upstairs ronald passing sir norton and lady ball jennings and taking the stairs two steps at a time good old doc lady ball jennings and sir norton look after ronald as he disappears and then turn and gaze at one another sir norton blinking margaret the state of things here is becoming impossible absolutely impossible gollingridge enters from the outer hall showing in glen oh good morning vicar glen shaking hands with lady ball jennings good morning going to sir norton and shaking hands with him as collingridge withdraws good morning to both i see waterfield's car outside how's the invalid lady ball jennings bored by the inquiry thank you quite a satisfactory night i believe yes yes quite quite capital lady ball jennings seats herself on the settee hmm crisis was passed on friday today's wednesday i suppose we may conclude that the poor chap's out of the wood eh lady ball jennings heaving a large fat sigh <sighs> i hope so sir norton walking away to the fireplace i hope so glen sitting in the chair on the left of the oblong table and wiping his brow he's had a bad time has the unfortunate mr edos we've all had a bad time vicar wretched naturally since saturday week it seems ages ago everything and everybody in this house have been sacrificed to a sick giant sir norton to glen he was put to bed with a temperature almost immediately he arrived as you know shall i ever forget that evening the fuss and the flurry sir norton poising himself on his toes 
and as his complete recovery must necessarily be slow we shall continue to have a bad time i apprehend glen over his shoulder come come you have your little ailments occasionally sir norton little ailments little lady ball jennings to glen at this moment my husband can hardly lift his arm to his head from neuritis to say nothing of the rash which may be eczema but which looks to me suspiciously like shingles do you call those little ailments sir norton demonstrating his difficulty in raising his left arm and crying out in pain sir norton not being a giant however physically his condition is regarded by my sister and her son and daughter with the utmost callousness sir norton coming forward the expense too that dorothy is being put to over this miserable business shocking a day and night nurse and such unpleasant women both of them oxygen in enormous cylinders rubbing his knee i fell over one this morning in the corridor if my husband had pneumonia at marston lodge and was ordered gas a sniff at the meter would be as much as he'd get glen forcibly no 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 sir norton at the chair on the right of the round table but it isn't only mr Dow's illness that interferes with our comfort and peace of mind my dear vicar by no means what else the inconvenience of his illness we could endure sir norton to glen sitting my good sir do you realize that my wife and i are living practically living with this pack of human curiosities or rather that they are living with us monstrous miss belmano came with idos on his unlucky weekend visit and remains here he's a timid sensitive creature and clings to her you wouldn't have mrs herrick turn her out and leave him to be nursed wholly by strangers i'm not referring particularly to miss balmano though i admit i regret her presence the others the two offensive dwarfs and the skeleton man they have the entire run of the place it might belong to them to be frank it was my suggestion that a temporary lodging should be found close by for mr tilney and mr and mrs pratt to save them the frequent journey from lambeth they're devoted to their sick comrade sir norton himself describes them as human oh i've no doubt vicar that you've been animated by the kindest intentions but the liberties these persons take their gross familiarities every trace of respect if they ever felt any for lady ball jennings and myself vanished utterly 
and even that is not the most serious aspect of the affair vicar hey lady ball jennings bending forward i ask you why has my nephew ronald suddenly wheedled his employers into letting him start his summer holidays now in june my sister never goes away till august and having got his holiday why isn't he off to the seaside or elsewhere precisely what is the special attraction for him at home sir norton to glen a parson may be a man of the world sir doesn't it strike you that these strange individuals are singularly undesirable associates for my wife's nephew and niece miss balmano for ronald and mr tilney for sheila glen staring at lady Balljennings and sir norton miss balmano and ronald sheila and and mr tilney sir norton raising his hand listen a few cheers are heard proceeding from the right glynn rises frowningly and moves toward the window sir norton also rises here is tilney lady ball jennings rising and the dwarfs the cheering is repeated sir norton shaking his fist in the air these hateful children a scandal to the district rabble gutter snipes something ought to be done shall be done to stop this annoyance lady ball jennings to glen vicar tilney and the prats appear outside the window sir norton to glen look i told you he hasn't even the modesty to come to the front door uses the garden gate tilney opens the window and enters pushing the prats before him they are all dressed in a brave attempt at summer attire and like rosa look healthier and fresher tilney to glen closing the window ah vicar good morning mr tilney morning waving his hat genially to sir norton and lady bull jennings morning good morning tilney shaking hands with glenn over the prats heads glorious news about jimmy isn't it glenn nodding going on well i understand great strides i was round here at seven o'clock and he was sleeping grandly to the prats straightening them make your greetings julie taking pratt's hat from him and you thomas quinzy julie giving her hand to glenn howdy how are you mrs pratt looking down upon her kindly in the best of spirits julie cocking her eye at him you can bet your rubbers on that toddling across to sir norton and lady ball jennings and shaking hands with them as pratt shakes hands with glenn howdy to lady ball jennings howdy pratt going to sir norton and shaking hands with him conceitedly say did you how the boys and ghosts young men drool him all just now sir norton retiring to the fireplace i did julie 
wriggling with gratification. My, but their enthusiasm tickles me to death. Tilney laughing at Julie. <laughs> Pratt shaking hands with Lady Bull Jennings. Guess we are over the biggest storm that has ever happened in this locality. Tilney laughing at Pratt. <laughs> Lady Bull Jennings under her breath joining Sir Norton. Glenn to Tilney. Dr. Waterfield is upstairs. Tilney, nodding. Seen his car at the door. Going to the Pratts. Come along, Julie Maud. Come along, Tom. Throwing his own hat and Pratts onto the oblong table, where they chanced to light on Sir Norton's, and leading the Pratts to the staircase. Perhaps the doctor will let you have a peep at Jimmy. Glenn, crossing to the foot of the stairs. Tell Mrs. Herrick I've dropped in to ask after Mr. Edos, will you? Tilney, half-lifting, half-dragging the Pratts up the stairs. Right-ho! The Pratts miss a step and come to grief. Oop! Hold up, Julie! Steady on your pins, Thomas Quincy! Sir Norton, as Tilney and the Pratts disappear, indignantly rescuing his hat and dusting it with his sleeve. Upon my word! Lady Bull Jennings, advancing. Terrible young man! And my sister-in-law blindly allows her daughter to be on terms of the friendliest character with this gentleman. Yesterday they were weeding the lawn together. I made a point of keeping near them, hot as the sun was. Sir Norton, sitting in the chair by the little square table. And she partners him at tennis? Lady Bull Jennings, coming to Sir Norton. Playing against Ronald and Miss Balmano. Mr. Tilney in an old pair of Ronald's tennis shoes. And Miss Balmano in a pair of Sheila's. Glenn, approaching them, his brows knit. Mr. Tilney's manners are somewhat free and easy, certainly. But he impresses me as being essentially simple and extraordinarily good-natured. Simple? In fact, when Sir Norton speaks of Mr. Tilney as a gentleman, I'm not sure that he doesn't, without intending it, hit the mark. Oh, the fellow may be slightly different from the common run of circus folk. Heaven only knows what his history is. He's an errand impostor at any rate. That's beyond question. Impostor? A fraud on the public. His claim to be a walking skeleton is a piece of rank charlatanism. He's no thinner than my poor husband. If as thin. Lady Bull Jennings, swelling with a mixture of pride and resentment. My dear vicar, if you saw Sir Norton in his bath, you'd be horrified. Probably. His ribs are as distinct as the rungs of a ladder, and as for his shoulder blades. Mrs. Herrick comes downstairs, followed by Waterfield. Mrs. Herrick to Glenn. Vicar! Glenn to Waterfield, as he takes her hand. Morning, Waterfield. Waterfield seating himself at the escritoire and writing. Morning, vicar. Mrs. Herrick, to Glenn. 
Thank you so much for calling. Glen, patting her hand. Glad to hear the excellent report. Isn't it a relief? Lowering her voice so that she shall not disturb Waterfield. But we still have to be very careful. Waterfield, as he writes. I want this prescription taken to Crosby's as soon as possible. Yes, Doctor. To Glen. Will you dine with us tonight? We're a cheerful household again, and you haven't broken bread here for a fortnight. With pleasure, my dear. Usual hour? Mrs. Herrick, nodding. Half past seven. To Waterfield, seeing that he is blotting his prescription. Will you dine here tonight too, Doctor? Do. The vicar's coming. Waterfield, rising, a shade of uneasiness on his face. Sorry. Can't. Oh. Waterfield, giving her the prescription. Wish I could, but I'm frantically busy. Shaking hands with her. I shall pop in during the day, though, once or twice. Glenn, looking at his watch, to Waterfield. You going towards the grove? Yes. Give me a lift. Shaking hands with Mrs. Herrick. I must be off. Mrs. Herrick, to Glenn. This evening, then? This evening. While this has been going on, Lady Bell Jennings has seated herself with an air of aloofness in the chair facing the window, and Sir Norton has risen and followed her and is now standing by her. Goodbye, Lady Ball Jennings. Goodbye, Sir Norton. Goodbye. Waterfield, waving his hand again to Lady Ball Jennings and Sir Norton. Goodbye. Goodbye. Waterfield, going into the outer hall. Ready, Vicar. Mrs. Herrick, accompanying Glenn to the door. Half past seven. Glenn, following Waterfield. All being well. Mrs. Herrick, speaking into the outer hall to Waterfield. I shall see you later on, Doctor. Waterfield, out of sight. Rather. Ronald and Rosa and Sheila and Hilney appear on the stairs. Sheila is now wearing a garden hat. Ronald from the staircase to Mrs. Herrick. Hello? Has the rev gone, mums? Mrs. Herrick, closing the door. Yes, darling, but he's dining with us tonight. Good egg. Mrs. Herrick, at the foot of the stairs, showing Ronald the prescription. Ronnie, my pet, I wonder whether you'd run with this to Crosby's. Dr. Waterfield wants it made up at once. Ronald, coming down the stairs and taking the prescription from Mrs. Herrick and reading it gaily. Digitalis amon carb, amon aromat. To Rosa. Come with me, Rosa. Rosa, at his side. If you like. Sir Norton and Lady Bull Jennings exchange glances and nudge each other. Oh, but I ain't smart enough. Rot, you look awfully dinky. To Mrs. Herrick. Doesn't she, Mums? Mrs. Herrick, to Rosa. Yes, you couldn't look nicer than in that neat little frock, dear. Sir Norton, advancing and holding out his hat to Ronald, stonily. Kindly hang this in the hall as you go out with Miss Balmano. Mrs. Herrick takes the hat, a soft Panama, 
from Sir Norton and hands it to Ronald, who light-heartedly claps it on Rosa's head. Ronnie! Ronald, arranging the hat. Isn't it becoming, Mums? Very. With a frightened glance at Sir Norton, who sinks upon the fauteuil stool. But your uncle! Ronald, opening the door on the left and pushing Rosa out. Speed up, Rosa! As he closes the door behind him. Toot, toot! Mrs. Herrick, to Lady Ball Jennings, who has risen in horror and come to the oblong table. I've ordered the pony cart, Meg, for a quarter to eleven. Will you? I thank you. No, Dorothy. Taking up a newspaper. I prefer not to leave Norton. Mrs. Herrick, moving to the staircase. To Sir Norton. I don't ask you, Norton. The shaking disagrees with you. Gravely. Also taking a newspaper from the table. My last ride in the cart had a most disastrous effect on my nerve centres. Mrs. Herrick, ascending the stairs. To Sheila, who has been talking to Tilney at the fireplace and is now walking with him to the window. Sheila, dear? No, thanks, Mums. Mr. Tilney is going to help me mend the tennis net. Mrs. Herrick, from the top of the stairs. To Tilney. Will you trust Mr. and Mrs. Pratt to me, Mr. Tilney, if they care for a drive? Tilney, who has picked up his hat, opening the window for Sheila to pass out. Sweet of you, Mrs. Herrick. The little ones will jump for joy. To Mrs. Herrick, as he follows Sheila into the garden. I'll wait here till you return, if I may. Immediately Mrs. Herrick has disappeared in the one direction, and Sheila and Tilney in the other, Lady Ball Jennings hurries to the window. Lady Ball Jennings, watching the receding figures of Sheila and Tilney. There they go, their elbows almost touching, and not in the direction of the tennis court either. <gasps> Norton! Sir Norton, joining her. What? She's picking a flower. It can't be for him. Sir Norton, peering over her shoulder. No, 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 no. I believe it is. Yes. And she, she's actually fastening it in his coat. An indecent act. A flagrantly indecent act. Lady Ball Jennings, turning from the window. How any niece of mine can so degrade herself passes my comprehension. The Pratts, in a state of great excitement, descend the stairs with alarming precipitancy. Lady Ball Jennings and Sir Norton clutch each other. Heavens! To Julie, as Pratt hurls himself at the oblong table and seizes his hat. What is it, madam? My, but Mrs. Herrick is a real peach. She is good to eat, that woman. Peach? Good to eat. Pratt, tottering to Julie. Why, sure. She's going to take Drew and Maul and me for a ride in the buggy. Lady Ball Jennings, dropping on to the fauteuil stool and fanning herself with her newspaper. Is that all? Sir Norton, sitting in the chair on the right of the oblong table, shutting his eyes. Margaret, this sort of thing is extremely bad for my heart. Julie shaking Pratt up and straightening his head. <laughs> Guess we are growing as popular in the Herrick Mansion as we are in the public thoroughfares. 
Pratt, rendering Julie a similar service. You bet. Julie to Lady Bull Jennings. The only folks that don't seem to freeze on to me and Thomas Quincy are you and Sir Jennings. Lady Bull Jennings, raising her eyebrows. Don't seem to freeze. Say, I should like to roller this out some. Roller? I am perfectly well aware that when anybody gets my goat, I kick up most awful rough. You goat? When I'm riled. Pointing to Pratt. Also, that Thomas Quincy is at times not on the top range of his intellectual development. <laughs> really? Now I want you and Sir Jennings to forget the unfavorable impression we produced at our debut at the Herrick home. <laughs> we was both considerably right over that afternoon, Julie and me. Say, is it a deal? A deal? A lead pipe cinch? I... I don't... Julie, offering her hand. Lady Ball, on behalf of yourself and Sir Jennings, put it right there. Lady Ball Jennings yields her hand to Julie powerlessly as Mrs. Herrick comes down the stairs and Collingridge enters at the door on the left. Mrs. Herrick is dressed for driving and is drawing on her gloves. Collingridge to Mrs. Herrick. The pony cart, ma'am. I'm ready, Collingridge. Pratt, toddling to the door. Yes, we are ready, Collingridge. Collingridge, darting a fearful look at Pratt, retires. Mrs. Herrick, taking Julie's hand. Mrs. Pratt? To Lady Ball Jennings and Sir Norton. We shan't be long, Meg. We shan't be long, Norton. No, we shan't be long. Waving her disengaged hand to them affably. Don't be lonesome. Mrs. Herrick and Julie follow Pratt into the outer hall, leaving the door open. Lady Ball Jennings and Sir Norton rise. Lady Ball Jennings, dumbfounded. Norton? Sir Norton, blinking. M-M-Margaret? Is the earth crumbling beneath us? The cheering is heard again, coming from the left. Oh, oh, dear me, I am quite unhinged. Gathering up the rest of the newspapers and tucking them under his arm. I shall lock myself in my study and read the papers. Lady Ball Jennings, clearing the table of the magazines and weeklies. I'll come with you. Sir Norton, going unsteadily to the door on the left. Oh, dear me! Oh, dear me! Lady Ball Jennings, at his heels. Try not to upset yourself, Norton. Try not to upset yourself. As they withdraw into the outer hall, the cheering is repeated. Then there is silence, and after a moment's pause, Sheila flounces in at the window and, crossing the room pettishly, seats herself with a clouded face on the chair on the right of the round table. Tilney follows slowly, closes the window, and stands looking at her. He now has a rose in his buttonhole. Tilney, removing his hat. Offended? Sheila, in a way that belies her statement. Not in the least. Tilney, approaching her. It was a slip of the tongue. Slip of the tongue? I thought I'd cured you of these slips of the tongue. So you have, most of them. 
I haven't called your mother, ma'am, for a whole week. Sheila, curling her lip. Gregory, what progress! Nor you, miss, till just now. Before the gardener, I marvel you don't address him as sir. Tilney, passing his hand over his head. You see, Miss Herrick. That's better. Miss Herrick, or even Miss Sheila. Not miss again, please, or I'll have a fit on the carpet. You see, I've been so long among a different class of people that I, I've lost touch. Hold on. She glances at the door on the left, rises, peeps into the outer hall, and, having closed the door carefully, returns to the middle of the room. I say, you needn't answer my questions if you consider them cheeky. Who are you? Who am I? I mean, what have you sprung from, Mr. Tilney? Where were you born? How did you come to be mixed up with this curious crowd? Walking away to the fireplace. Of course I knew you were a cut above them. Directly I saw you. Oh, but I'm not a cut above them. Piffle, don't be tedious. Tilney laying his hat on the round table and examining the contents of the work-basket. I was born in Liverpool, if it interests you to hear it. The third son of an eminent cotton broker. Toying with a ball of silk. A great mistake, Miss Herrick. Sheila, turning. What is? To be born in Liverpool, the third son of a cotton broker. Let me give you a piece of advice, may I? Sheila advancing to the oblong table well if ever you marry and have children take care that your third boy isn't born in liverpool and that his father isn't a cotton broker you weren't happy at home tilney throwing the silk into the basket good lord your story appears rather to resemble my uncle charles's tilney facing her you're right I was the black sheep of my family, as he was of his early in his life. And like him, I became a rover, a waster, a ne'er-do-weel. It was that that appealed to him when he found me on my beam ends at Suva Harbor, and I told him my tale. Suva... Suva's the boss town of the Fijis. I'd been put ashore there, discharged from my ship. I was on a small trading schooner and didn't hit it off with the mate, and I'd been lying ill for a month with fever when Segatini arrived on the island with his circus. A week before, his skeleton dude had died at sea, and there I was, nothing but skin and bone, the very man for the emergency. Ah! Tilney, again approaching her. That launched me on my career as one of your uncle's staggering, startling, stunning, and stupendous sensations, as he was wont to describe his collection of by-products of the animal kingdom. Thenceforward, I dwelt in the atmosphere of reeking canvas, brass bands, and gilded chariots, with giants, midgets, dog-faced boys, attached twins, fat and bearded women, and the Circassian and the tattooed lady from my pals, and a freak I've remained ever since. But you're not a freak, actually. Not a genuine skeleton. 
The last fortnight has made a wonderful alteration in you. <laughs> ah, you should see me after a bout of the dear old ague. Sitting in a chair on the left of the oblong table. And at other times, with the help of a constitutional leanness, a spare diet, and an ingenious costume. Oh, oh, how can you be content with such a mode of existence? Seating herself petulantly upon the oblong table with her back to him. My godfathers, fancy a man sinking so low willingly. Tilney, after a pause, during which he eyes her thoughtfully. Miss Herrick? Sheila, taking off her hat and putting it down beside her. Hello. Why haven't you rounded me up on this subject till today? You've been on the verge of it more than once. Sheila, tidying her hair. Indeed? I've read it in the glint of your steely gray eyes. My eyes are not steely gray, and... Shrugging her shoulders. Oh, I don't mind telling you. In a subdued voice, stroking the edge of the table. I hope I'm not snobbish, but though I felt pretty sure you're not really common... You shirked finding out that I am? Exactly. In that case, you couldn't have gone on allowing me to play with you in your backyard, could you? Why, no. Impulse. As it is? As it is, after we've mended the tennis net, you may assist me to stick the carnations. Tilney, contemplating his shoes. Hmm. And when... When Jimmy Eddowes is on his legs again, and we all take up the trail, what then? What then? Your, uh, your friendship for me breaks, I suppose. Depends. Depends? On whether you resume your low calling. There is another pause, and then Tilney rises and walks over to the window and stares into the garden. Is it low? Beyond words. It would be less low, in your opinion, if, having cast in my lot with Sergatini's freaks in the depth of my adversity, I suddenly chucked them, left those of them that are most in need of me to continue to struggle alone. Tosh! Don't be futile. Getting off the table. They've got their little pensions, and Rosa Balmano is quite capable of running the menage without you. Moving to the foot of the staircase and resting her elbows upon the stanchion of the banisters. However, if you've no higher ambition than to remain a freak, why should I object? He leaves the window and, with his head bent, comes slowly to the back of the oblong table. She laughs partly to herself, softly and contemptuously. <laughs> a freak! <laughs> Tilney contracting his brows. Miss Herrick? Yes, Mr. Tilney? Strange as it may seem to you, I've grown to this queer life of mine, thrown out roots, as it were. Sheila, tapping her foot impatiently. Oh! And if I dug a spade into the roots, they... they'd bleed red. Drawing himself erect. Besides, here is something for you to think over with a wry smile. Who is a freak, 
and who is normal in this world? Who shall decide? Was my father normal? I never knew my mother. Was he normal, he who hadn't an ounce, a grain of affection for me? And were my brothers normal, who stood by and grinned? God, were they normal? Was McAlpin, mate of the Malieta, who kicked me down the ship's ladder in Suva Harbor, blast his soul? Was he normal? Going a step or two nearer her. You. You're a shrewd girl. What has your experience taught you, short as it is? Are there no freaks on your list of acquaintances? Are all the women you lip and all the men you rub palms with beautiful specimens of the normal, the Christian type? And yet you sneer at my poor grotesque companions, who, in spite of infirmities of body and temper, have more true love in their hearts, treat them kindly, than seventy-five percent of the well-formed and the well-endowed. Grinding his teeth. Freaks, are they. I declare to you, Miss Herrick, that, looking into the faces in front of me at our shows, my hardest task has been to refrain from crying out that we ought to change places, to change places, the so-called freaks upon the rickety platform and the damned sniggering spectators on the tan floor. While he is speaking, Sheila turns and slowly approaches him. She is now close to him, gazing at him with wide-open eyes. Phew! Hanging his head. Excuse my rough tongue. When I'm stirred... Sheila, dropping her eyes and touching the flower in his coat with wavering fingers, simply... Doesn't matter. I often use bad language myself. Tilney, embarrassed. Uh, shall we... shall we proceed to execute the necessary repairs to the tennis net? Wait! Raising her eyes. I, I want you to know... I, I want you to know that I admire you. Admire me? Wincing. Shh. I do, I do, I do. And I apologize for sneering. I, I didn't understand. Offering him both her hands. There, Mr. Raish. Tilney, taking her hands and holding them ardently. Thank you. Thank you, miss. Sheila, wrinkling her nose. Oh, Tilney, pressing her hands to his breast. Thank you, Sheila. Sheila, relieved. Thought you'd relapsed into plain miss. Making no effort to withdraw her hands. Ah, oh, but what you've told me makes it all the worse. The worse? That you should sacrifice yourself as you are doing. Oh, it's a crime, a crime. Sacrifice myself? It would be easy to provide for the comfort of, of the others and for you to strike out in a new direction. It's not too late. Remember, things are different with you now. Tilney, giving her a quick, startled look. D -d different Now that you have us to, to encourage you, to spur you on. My mother, who likes you and... and... Tilney tightening his grip of her. And? Sheila, releasing herself and putting her hands behind her. Well, there's my brother Ronald, 
He's got the hang of the city. He could... She breaks off, looking at the door on the left and listening. Somebody... Tilney, with a movement toward the window. Tennis net. No, blow the tennis net. Snatching up her hat and going to the drawing-room door and beckoning him. Come into the drawing-room and tell me more of your adventures. He picks up his hat and joins her. We shan't disturb poor Mr. Eddowes overhead if we speak low. They disappear into the drawing-room and close the door. Almost at the same moment, Ronald and Rosa enter from the outer hall. They are without their hats. Ronald is carrying a bottle of medicine. Ronald, to Rosa, shutting the door. Enjoyed the walk, Rosa? Rosa, shyly but happily. Yes? Ripping, wasn't it? Yes? They ascend the stairs side by side. Ronald, to Rosa, confidentially. We always fetch the medicine from Crosby's when we get the chance, shall we? Rosa, averting her head. Do know. Ronald, halting. You'd like to, wouldn't you, with me? Yes. As they are mounting the stairs, the curtain falls. Upon it is painted a representation of a garishly lighted sideshow of a circus. On one side of the picture, a company of freaks, as enumerated by Tilney, with the addition of a living skeleton, are exhibiting themselves upon a raised stage. On the other, a throng of sightseers feast their eyes on the show. In the front rank is a party of men and women in evening dress. The men, idiotic-looking, and the women, flashy, décotés, and bejeweled. An opening at the back of the booth, through which more visitors are trooping in, gives a glimpse of the arena. After a short interval, the curtain rises. The hall is empty. The light in the garden, the warm light of afternoon. Tilney's hat is on the oblong table. Presently, he comes down the stairs with Waterfield. Waterfield preceding him. Well, doctor? Waterfield, digging his hands into his trousers' pockets and jingling his keys and money. Well? You're not satisfied with them. A little worried, I own. What? Waterfield, strolling to the window. Temperature going up a bit. Tilney, looking after him with a blank face. Why, this morning? Not really. There were symptoms I didn't quite like this morning, as a matter of fact. There's danger of a thing called an epiema, isn't there? Is that right? Waterfield nods at the prospect outside, whereupon Tilney sits in the chair at the round table in great dejection. Poor old Jimmy. Poor dear old Jimmy. Don't alarm anybody. I shall be in again by and by. Able to tell better then. Turning and advancing. Where are they all? Mrs. Herrick and her daughter have gone to town shopping. Glancing in the direction of the garden. The boy is teaching Rosa a stroke at the net, and Lady Ball Jennings is in Sir Norton's room putting hot compresses on him. Hot compresses? Tilney, attempting a smile. Acute attack of indigestion. Ha, ha, ha. Dreadfully sorry. Ha, <laughs> ha, Shaking Tilney's shoulder. 
So long. Don't lose heart. Going. Let's hope for the best. Tilney, detaining him. Doctor. Eh? While I was superintending the washing of Julie Maud's head this afternoon at our lodgings, I had a message from the nurse asking me to come over at once. His hand on Waterfield's arm. Jimmy's got an odd craving, Doctor. Craving? To see us round his bed, under the electric light, me and Rosa, and Julie and Thomas Quincy, dressed in our professional duds. Your professional costumes? His mind's running on the show, Nurse says. He's been rambling about it in his snatches of sleep today, continually. So I gather. Eight feet two inches in my stockings, he keeps repeating. Would any lady or gentleman like to step onto the platform and stand beside me? Starting up and crossing to the other side of the room. You don't think he realizes... Um, you don't think he has a feeling that, that he, he... Do you, Doctor? Waterfield, avoiding Tilney's eye. No, 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 no. Merely a fancy, nothing more. Will you give permission? Waterfield, thoughtfully. He's very bent on it. Intensely. Hmm. If it'll cheer the poor chap, make him easier. You consent? Yes. End of Act Two, Part One of The Freaks, An Idol of Suburbia.